Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is College and Kimball. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart. Joining me as always, Alex Beth, Justin Nutter, and Clint Wilson. Thank you all for listening to us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And if you haven't followed us on Twitter, it's college underscore Kimball. Go out there. You'll find all of our individual Twitter handles linked out. Enough of the administrative house cleaning stuff. Cats 3-0 on the young season after a decisive 38-17 victory over the University of Nevada this past Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. A very encouraging game on a number of different fronts, guys. And uh, I guess we should just probably start off on the offensive side of the ball and, and go to the position, again, the one that's all too obvious here, the big question on everybody's mind, how is Will Howard going to respond, being inserted as QB1, having the full week to prepare? And Clint, I thought he did a really good job of, of answering the question with a bullet. He was he was really solid this past Saturday. Yeah, he didn't make any mistakes, which is what we were looking for him to do. Um, he, he hit that great pass to a wide-open Daniel Amaterbebe very early in the game, and K-State was off and running from there. Um, you know, he he did have to sit on the bench in the second quarter. It's not that he got benched. It, w- it seemed like it was more of a planned thing going into the game. Um, but then he was able to play the second half and uh, often stalled a little bit in the third, but then came out roaring in the fourth. Um, so as we said last week, don't be tragic. He wasn't. He did a good job. And uh, it looks like he's improving. And Justin, I wanted to jump over to you here. Clint, you kind of alluded to it there for a moment. Jaron Lewis actually did come in, uh, got himself a couple of snaps at QB, wasn't really asked to do much of anything, uh, and, and just really opened it up to everybody here on this, but Nutter, you take it first. Uh, what were your impressions just watching him in the game? I know we didn't have a whole lot to go off of, but what'd you think of Jaron Lewis getting a shot to play? Um, yeah, I mean, probably just a more condensed version of what we saw with Howard, honestly. I mean, they didn't ask a ton of him. He did engineer two scoring drives, so that's obviously encouraging. Um, the timing of it was a little puzzling. I know it was predetermined, or at least that's what we're, you know, it, it, it sounds as though it was predetermined. You're going to get drives three and four whenever they might fall. Um, but, you know, it, it Will hadn't really done anything wrong to that point. The drive before he came out, he handed it off three times in a row. Um Obviously, with the game plan being what it was, not a ton asked of him, but just like Howard, you know, he he avoided any kind of mistake whatsoever, really. Uh, most of the passes were were in the flat. I think his only down, uh, Jaron's only downfield pass drew a PI. So I guess, you know, you could you can give him that if you want. But uh, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, probably good to get him meaningful snaps. You know, you never know what might happen. So I'm going to say the only thing that's kind of concerning there is, uh, you put him in and we didn't even attempt. There was no read or anything. There was no play calls for Jaron Lewis to even get a chance to run with the ball. So my thinking is, and like you said, he, he threw four passes. One was downfield on a PI, two were bubble screens two I believe both went to Phillip Brooks for six yards. And then one was a dump off um, that would have lost like three yards if, if Brooks caught it. So he wasn't really throwing the ball downfield. And if he's not also going to be running the ball, then I don't really see, you know, how that that takes away an aspect of the the game. Can he run? Probably. 
do they want him to run? I don't know. I think Will's probably the better runner. But the, and he was in for two drives and didn't run the ball once, didn't have a, a read where he had the read, the option to keep the ball ever. Um, just seems kind of odd to me that that's how the play calling would go with him in. Because clearly if that's a, you know, a, a tendency, then one, if he does have to play significant snaps, the defenses are probably not going to be too afraid of him running the ball. So um, I feel like if he's going to get out there, you know, you, we got to be able to see if he can run the ball because that's a major part of the offense. But I agree. It's, you know, I didn't really like the timing of it, especially since Will hadn't really done anything bad to that point. Um, but I understand the thought behind getting your backup quarterback in there, uh, even though I don't necessarily agree with it. He looks serviceable, which is pretty much all you can ask out of a third-string quarterback. His one pass that he threw downfield did look pretty. It was a nice, tight spiral. <laughs> we haven't always been able to say that about Will's, you know, downfield throws. So <laughs> there's there are some positives there. Um, I, I too kind of in the same camp uh, as you guys on that. Uh, I tend to think, and and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I tend to think this was really more of just coaches wanting to reward the guy for his time in the program and the fact that they obviously felt like they would be able to have a decent amount of success running the ball. And I think they felt like this is going to be about as good of opportunity as any to get him some, some game reps. And Alex, to your point, really not give him anything to think about truth be told, uh, and I, I hate using that, that's kind of reductive, but straight handoffs, really quick bubbles where there was no read on it, like you said, I do what you can to get him confidence because as you know, the old adage goes, you're always one snap away and everything, but I, I think it was encouraging just to see him get some reps at that spot, uh, even though he wasn't really asked to do a whole lot. Now, as far as the the pieces surrounding him, really the 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 unit that stole the show this past Saturday, offensive line certainly needs to be mentioned for just opening up gaping holes for Deuce, for Irvin and Howard, everybody to run through. They they have had another superb game. Uh, a bit of a hold your breath moment when Josh Rivas, particularly late in the contest, went out of the game, but ultimately did end up coming back and finish that one out. So all indications are obviously the fact that he went in, I think tells you all that you really need to know that the offensive line will be intact going into the upcoming game at Stillwater. But I, I came away thoroughly impressed at how efficient K-State was running the ball. I thought they would have a decent amount of success, but Nutter, you mentioned it going into the game. This Nevada team did not look strong against the run, and that held up this past Saturday. K-State really anywhere across the line was able to open up some massive holes. Yeah, um, and not just the starting five. You know, KT Leviston uh, played, got some spot duty when when uh, Revis went down and by all accounts was phenomenal. Uh, Hadley Panzer got, I think, nine or ten snaps and looked, you know, very good as well. I think we went eight deep on the offensive line. You know how much I don't know how much of that was due to the heat, um, but at any rate, um, we rotated eight, and you wouldn't necessarily have known it because we just mauled them up front. I mean, beginning to end, so very encouraging, and obviously hope we can keep that ball rolling. 
Yeah, I would say this is the best overall for the entire group, the best game we've had for the offensive line so far this season. To bring it back to the running backs, we saw Deuce do what Deuce always does. He he was sensational, but the guy who really popped to me and who I feel like is becoming more is going to become more of a fixture in this offense is Joe Irvin. He is really starting to carve out a role and get in not just the guy who's coming in to spell Deuce Vaughn. He's going to be a guy who's going to come in and get, I feel like the number is going to be anywhere from eight to 12 per game. Do you guys feel like that's in the ballpark of what he'll see, or am I maybe shooting a little bit too high? Uh, Only if they start deciding they want to put Jacardi Wright in a little bit more, might eat up a few of his carries. Um, I, I, by all accounts, it seems like they would like to get him some more carries. Uh, I don't know where that's going to come from, but um, Irvin looks like a really solid player. I mean, if we didn't have Deuce, I think Irvin would be a, a solid starter for us. He he is kind of a nice complement to Deuce, even though they're similar sizes. They they do have a very different running style. He's more of a one-cut, just hit that hole hard and go type of player. It's probably yeah. pretty telling. Sorry, Alex, go ahead. I was just going to say um... – you know, we, we heard a lot of hype of Joe Irvin in camp and the first couple of games. He had a couple of nice runs, but I thought, you know, he, he might be a little taller than Deuce, but he's definitely a little leaner than Deuce. And I thought that he was, you know, he's a small guy. I'm like, eh, he goes down pretty easily. But this game really showed me what they probably have been seeing uh, in him in practice is, like Clint said, that one cut. Once he makes that one cut, he is so fast off of that cut. Like, he gets, like, that's what really impressed me in this, this game. Um, like, he makes that cut, and boom, he's through the hole. Where Deuce is more, you know, he's going to make those cuts, but he uh, he's a little bit not as explosive through the hole, but he's he's more, I guess, uh, you know, he'll make that second and third cut and that spin move, and, and he's really tough to bring down for a guy his size as well. So even though they're both smaller backs, they're they're a little bit different. Yeah, a um, little bit different running style, but uh, obviously not a lot of drop-off in talent is what it appears, you know, when one's in the game compared to the others. And I was going to say, I think it's probably pretty telling that multiple broadcast crews, including K-State's own Wyatt Thompson, have confused Irvin Deuce out there, you know, on, on impressive runs where he's making guys miss or moving the pile or whatever. So if that's how he's going to run all year, Jeff, to answer your original question, I'm all for giving him, you know, 15 cracks a game. And you talked about Wyatt making that mistake. I feel like we're going to hear this all season long from the fans. And not, and obviously their numbers are pretty close to one another. But that hand, anytime we run the ball, it's you just hear the do from the, the students and all the people in attendance. And like, there's more than one, but I, I, I hate doing that because Irvin really, I think, is carving out a nice role in this offense. And and he deserves to be recognized for what he's doing. Deuce deserves to be recognized, obviously. But uh, Joe's going to have to live with the fact that every time uh, he touches the ball, their fans are going to confuse him with Deuce Vaughn. But seven and a half yards per carry on 12 cracks. He was great. He scored his uh, second career touchdown first of the season. And uh, Clint, you talked about it. And, and all of you really touched on it. Uh, that play where, again, the seam just opened up right up the gut. One cut hit the hole. Nobody from from Nevada touched him on his way into the end zone. He was, he was rock solid again for K-State this past Saturday. And 
I, I think one last point on the running backs, Jacardia Wright. It, are we getting close to needing to fade him? And because I feel like if you can't get in and get snaps in in a game where you your offensive line has churned out, you're you're approaching a 300 yard day on the ground. K State ended up with 269 total. If you can't get in and get any kind of carries, I, I have to wonder if it's if it's going to click. I, I certainly want it to, but. Alex, do you think we've reached that point where it's maybe time to start to fade Jacardier? I don't necessarily think so. I think uh, I think they were probably just going with what was working on Saturday, you know, Deuce and Joe. And I think, you know, Jacardier is that third option right now. I would like to see him get more touches just because I think, you know, Deuce and Joe being smaller dudes that, um, you know, just to to keep them healthier. And I, I I'm a really big fan of, like, I think Jacardier can be really good. I like his size uh, with his speed. And I just think it would complement the offense even more to have more of a power back. The concerns I've seen from him is that, you know, we, we run mostly a zone blocking scheme where you have to be able to read, uh, read the line and find the hole. And what people have maybe said is maybe he struggles to find the right hole in that zone blocking scheme. And, I think he's had four carries this year, and most of those have been on those uh, diamond formations where he is actually running uh, wide on like a, you know, off tackle type of run, which he actually does very well with. A little counterintuitive being him being the power back, but he does really well on those off tackle runs. Obviously, off tackle runs, you don't have to necessarily read the offensive line for your hole, but... Um, I don't know. I think uh, I think we'll probably see him more as the season goes on. He's still when I see on when I look at the sidelines, he's still like right there by the coaches. You know, they put him in at the end of the game. He didn't get any carries, but he was blocking for Will, which in my mind was, you know, you got your third string running back out there with your backup quarterback who's in because your starter's injured. I don't really know why we were still running Will in that situation. Um, I thought that was a perfect chance to get. Um, Jacardier some some carries but I don't understand it the only thing I can think of is ball security issues that they see in practice or you know attitude problems but even then he has been getting on the field this year so I don't I don't really know but I hope he gets more carries as as the season goes on Will is kind of our power back right now I mean he's a big guy I bet you once Skyler gets back in they're not going to want to do a whole lot of QB runs I think that might be the time for right to kind of work his way into the offense or certainly just to help that advocate, right. do they continue to use will at the goal line even when Skyler's back I think we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the season obviously it clearly did not unfold how we thought it would but yeah, yeah I, say I didn't tell imagine. you guys go for it <laughs> oh no I was just gonna say I, I know uh, I was the one who who voiced or said that I would be okay with a Will Howard goal line type package. And I know everybody else kind of <laughs> shot that idea down. And I would say, man, if that, if, if Skyler does come back for the Oklahoma game and we can do anything we can to help avoid him taking shots at the, at the goal line, I'm, I'm all for that. That's just my, my thought. on it. Yeah. We're in a very different situation now that he's had a near disastrous knee injury. Yeah. I'm all for Will taking those shots now. Or Jacardier. Or Jacardier. Yes. Or Jacardier. 
<laughs> Again, a, a, a tremendous effort running the ball from Kansas State this past Saturday. Again, just chasms in, in that offensive line. That Nevada Wolfpack defense was was not up to the task of slowing down K-State's run game. And uh, very encouraging signs from a lot of different guys uh, as we get set to head forward into Big 12 play. Now, uh, we've obviously spent plenty of time talking about offense. I, I would bring up wide receiver, uh, but I honestly, I don't think it's worth sweating the fact that we didn't really see Malik Knowles get involved or, or Keenan Garber or anybody else. I, I think the fact that K-State was just able to be so successful on the ground really just dictated that we we don't really need to throw the ball downfield all that much and and i think the fact that we just hit that one big shot play early on i think that that gave will howard the confidence to throw downfield but when push came to shove we really didn't even need to to worry about doing that that play to a modern baby really was was the confidence booster that he needed to set the tone uh but as we said, Nevada really didn't have much of a counterpunch, and K-State's offensive line was really the bigger story in this game. So I'm not going to sweat the fact that the wide receivers did not really play much of a role in the in the game this past Saturday. I, I do think, uh, particularly coming up this weekend, that we might see some more wrinkles with the likes of Phil Brooks and Malik maybe running wide on some of those fly sweeps. I liked a lot of the mesh action. I think that was the one thing that really strained Nevada's defense the, when Will Howard was in, in particular, when we were running that that fake fake dive, jet sweep. They, they really just lacked the eye discipline. That was a big reason why K-State was able to have so much success on the ground. Now, uh, again, we, we've spent plenty of time talking about the offense they, they were again terrific this past Saturday solid in the red zone cashed in four for four on their red zone attempts three of those were touchdowns scored on six of nine drives again not much not too much to complain about only uh, two three and outs uh, one did come at a time where we got a little bit nervous but again that they there was really not much to worry about in this game for Kansas State I, I do have to flip and start given the defense uh, their due for this past Saturday's effort. We were spending a great deal of time talking about Carson Strong, what he brought to the table, the weapons that Nevada had in the, in the wide receiver room. And this just, again, ends up being another game where K-State's secondary stands tall. They do a great job of tackling in space. Uh, if if you really really want to harp on the on the secondary and you got a nitpick like no other to find that, but if you want to get on the secondary for the play where Dubs catches the 55 yard pass when Carson just drops in the bucket over the top, you can do that. But I I came away again feeling very impressed by the effort that we saw from the defense this past, uh, past Saturday. Guys, it's hard to single out any one given unit, but I, I think the secondary is probably the guy, the group that shines the most. Just knowing the way that Nevada wanted to attack, knowing that they were going to throw it 40 plus times, I think they were really, really strong once again. Okay, so I was going to say um, it was tough for me to really evaluate the secondary watching this game over because the broadcast had a severe lack of different angles on the field. You know, we don't have like an all 22 look. But there were several drives, and, you know, I think the defensive line played very well overall in the game. But there was a nice stretch of a couple of possessions where 
our three-man front really wasn't getting much pressure, but Carson Strong sat back there and just had nowhere to throw the ball. And without, you know, the proper angles, but it just felt like, you know, we must have been playing pretty darn good coverage for him to just not have anywhere to go with it on on the types of plays where we didn't have any pressure, um, you know, get the interception. All of the big plays they had were well covered. He just, you know, he made three or four Sunday NFL throws on us that you just tip your cap to him. Uh, um, but other than that, I thought, you know, I thought the secondary was pretty darn good. Um, just based on, like I said, limited angles on on the replays, but um, defensive line definitely definitely had kind of a stretch in the game where they weren't get, getting a whole lot of pressure, but the secondary was holding up pretty darn good. Yeah, I think one of the plays of the game was that T. Denson interception. I mean, the defensive line were hardly getting any pressure at all. Uh, Carson Strong had several seconds to sit back there, then he scrambled out a little bit. He threw that, I mean, kind of just a prayer because the uh, receivers were so well blanketed by all the K-State defenders, and T. Denson was able to get a pretty easy interception. I mean, I, I don't know if a single one of those sacks was really um, – then none of them came quickly is what I'm trying to think of covered a word for. Sacks. Yeah, well, it covers sacks, exactly, except maybe maybe the stubble field, uh, which obviously is a defensive back making a play on that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, the the DBs played an incredible game against one of the better passers we'll see come through uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium anytime soon. And truth be told, really, I certainly think Carson Strong is a and and complimentary pieces. Certainly an uptick compared to what K-State's going to see this coming Saturday, which, again, might give you an indication of where I'm leaning on this uh, this game between Kansas State and Oklahoma State. But uh, Carson got his, but this, Nutter, you, you talk about it a lot. This this guy was a statue in the pocket, and I think whenever, whenever you look at somebody's numbers and you see a negative uh, rushing average, that always makes me feel really good uh, defensively and especially with how physical this group has been, how athletic they've shown themselves to be in these first couple of games. Um, I just cannot say any more positives about the secondary in particular. I I love seeing guys emerging T Denson. Nice to see him. Like you said, Clint make that big play with the interception setting K state up with that uh, short field in which the Wildcats would cash in and get a field goal right before uh, the end of the second quarter. Uh, you had a number of good plays made also in the linebacking core, and we, uh, we do have to talk about Daniel Green. Uh, I, I think that's probably the storyline that's going by the wayside, that the fact that this was the biggest question going into the season was the linebacker core. and. Daniel Green in particular, and not to say that Cody Fletcher is not delivered because he absolutely has lived up to his billing as well. But Daniel Green is playing, in my opinion, at an all conference level right now. And if we continue to see that type of production out of him where we're getting nine, ten tackles and he is truly influencing where quarterbacks go. He did a great job blanketing tight ends when he was asked to play coverage. He ended up leading K-State in tackles this past Saturday as well. I, I I think Daniel Green might be in line for maybe not Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, 
But I do think that if he continues this rate of play, he will certainly find himself on the first team, all Big 12 team. Yeah, I always felt like going into the season, I felt, you know, mostly fine about the starting two. Obviously, the concern was always going to be the depth. But I don't think I realistically could say I expected Green to be this good. You know, it is easy to forget the dude was a four-star out of high school. You know, I think that kind of gets lost maybe in the fact that he uh, had to take a year off, you know, before he got here. But, uh, no, he, he's been phenomenal. As weird as it sounds to say, you know, maybe he's the best we've had since Arthur. I think that's something you have to, like, seriously start entertaining at this point. Yeah, it's hard to say there's a, another one or two better linebackers in the conference at the moment, so... Yeah, I have a hard time believing players are as good as they are if they don't show it right away. If you don't come in as a freshman or a redshirt freshman and just ball out, then I kind of just disregard you as a player who's going to make a real impact or be an all-conference type player. So him coming on the last couple games, I've kind of dismissed it. But, you know, you really have to start paying attention to him and taking him seriously. And I I do agree. He is uh, a guy who is – Playing as good as any linebacker we've had since Arthur Brown. It's getting harder and harder to say, ignore. Can, do you guys know uh, who we who we give the assist to in recruiting Daniel Green? You guys I believe Jerron Masterud, right? Correct. A couple of Oregon boys. Mm-hmm. Well, he was kind of a signing day out of nowhere, wasn't he? Like, I don't think anybody saw that one coming. Was it on the signing day or was it a little bit before? I can't remember. It was like, if it wasn't on signing day, it was like in the days leading up to it. Because that was Elijah Sullivan that flipped from Auburn to K-State because they wanted him to take a gray shirt. Yeah, but I'm thinking of green specifically on this one. Yeah, it was definitely uh, out of nowhere pickup for sure. Cannot say enough positive things about the Cats leading tackler through the first three games. Daniel Green's racked up 22 stops, and keep in mind that was with him missing the first half against Southern Illinois. He has just been a machine in the middle of this Kansas State defense, and I do have to say it's been really refreshing to see how much he's embraced, not just being looked at as a leader for this defense, but also being looked at as an anchor for that linebacker core. He really has done a great job of, of learning and, and, and knowing all of the responsibilities that go along with that position. And also keep in mind the transition from the 4-2-5 to the 3-3-5 base, that had to be pretty challenging for him. But he's really answered the bell in a number of different ways. And I, I certainly foresee his level of play continuing as we get into Big 12 play. Will this defense continue to surrender just 4.6 yards per play? No, probably not. But I, I still think that when season's end rolls around, this will still end up being one of the best, if not the best defense in the Big 12 conference. Now, a couple of items I wanted to hit on on the defensive line. First off, the play in which Timmy Horn just destroys the center and pushes him seven yards into the offensive backfield was both hilarious and amazing to watch you don't typically see guys get manhandled like that but the strength that timmy horn possesses is just off the charts and while he hasn't really racked up a ton of stats you can clearly see that he is influencing how teams are attacking this defense and the the defensive line was was a, a brick wall this past saturday 
Nevada only had 25 yards on 23 carries. Again, it's not a team that likes to run the ball a whole lot, but when they did, K-State slammed the door very quickly. Now, that was, again, another very encouraging thing to see from this defense, but one thing that, that was a pretty significant blow on the defensive end position was losing Khalid Duke. Uh, initially thought not to be a season-ending injury, but we've we've since learned that Khalid is going to miss the remainder of the 2021 season. And uh, I think at this point it's appropriate for me to turn the floor over to Alex. I, I know you can wax poetic about cut blocks, so I'll go ahead and let you uh, fire away on that topic. So this is not to try to accuse the left tackle for Nevada of some sort of dirty play. However, just watching football, you know, pretty much my entire life, I, for, you know, the last probably decade, I am not a fan of the, that cut blocking is allowed. I just, I've never thought that that was, I'm like, why are you allowed to just go straight at a dude's knees? Um, this one was a little odd because usually, you know, they, they ran a little wide receiver screen and they, they do a lot of cut blocking on the side of the screen to get the defender, you know, on the ground or don't let him jump up and deflect the ball. This one was weird because typically they will cut you immediately on the snap, right? They don't even come up from their stance. They'll just dive at your legs. Usually when that happens, I think defenders are maybe thinking about it like, hey, right on the snap look for a cut block, right? But this guy, he like stood up and took a step and then went back down and, and cut blocked uh, Duke, which to me makes me think that he wasn't expecting it um, if the guy did like a normal straight cut block off the snap. So it was just kind of a weird play from that. Definitely, you know, I think the reports are that he's out for the season, but yes, I would be all in favor of them uh, out, you know, getting rid of cut blocking in football because I just don't think that's a good play. Be a very interesting discussion to have for sure. <laughs> we need to we need to get some uh, defensive ends that have left the program and see what they have to say about that. That'll definitely be a fun to- a fun conversation to have. Now, well, yes, again, in the moment, it sucks that K-State loses. Again, what was going to be a, probably – pass rusher one or one one a depending on how you perceive duke versus uh king felix but uh nutter i I gotta give our boy nate matlack a shout out here who comes in and really delivers a couple of really nice plays in this contest and and, um and i think everybody's obviously hopeful that he can start to make more contributions as the season moves forward he was inches from his first sack you know a week ago against siu in the in the closing seconds of that one and uh, it wasn't his first sack, but a really impressive stop on fourth down on a play where you can tell Strong wanted no business tucking that ball and running it. Um, I think probably the most impressive thing about that is he was lined up on the opposite side of the play. And uh, initially it looked like he overran the play, but was able to recover and uh, run him down from behind. Um, and at that was, you know, that was at a point where the, where the game was really still in question. I think we had just taken the lead back, and uh, that was to – get us the ball back and, you know, semi-favorable field position really start to pull away. And then obviously he uh, wraps up the game with his first career sack. So, I mean, obviously the sack distribution uh, has been phenomenal so far. I think we have 12 sacks by nine different guys. 
So to see him, you know, get in on the action, especially knowing that he's probably going to have a, a, a bigger role moving forward now with Duke out, that's super encouraging to see from a young guy. Yeah, and he, he's lining up in a position that's pretty specialized. Uh, it's not like we can just move Boom Massey over to that spot because he he drops back into that linebacker spot in the 3-3-5 and has to uh, do a lot in coverage and pass rush. Um, so they've they've done Spencer Trussell back there and Nate Matlack. Um, so hopefully he'll be up to speed and ready to go because he looks really promising. Very surprised that we did not get a replay of that fourth down stop by Matt Lack because when I watched it in real time it looked like he might have gotten it uh, with the stretch I, I again am shocked that we didn't even get a measurement on that the officials just spotted it eyeballed it and turned over on downs uh, Alex it's kind of funny you talk about camera angles that, that was just kind of the the really the, the theme of the day uh, we didn't get a lot of other looks to see if that ball might have made it to the line to gain, but I'm not going to complain about it. It is in the history books now, as is K-State's 38-17 to win over Nevada as the Wildcats start the year 3-0. and And with all that being said, I think it's time to move into our weekly awards for week number three. We give these out to a number of players, and we have a number of different awards. And we'll start off with our team MVP here, the Michael Bishop Award for week number three. And guys, we did have a little bit of discussion about this, but I think uh, landing on Deuce Vaughn once again seems appropriate here, uh, given what he did. At this point, I think we just have to say he's doing Deuce Vaughn things. Uh, he's been the Wildcats' most reliable player, racks up his fifth straight 100-yard game. And, and Clint, again, what else can you say? He was Deuce Vaughn. Yeah, Deuce is just incredible. I mean, he's he's turned into a player that it's not just uh, a guy who you're going to, you know, throw it out to him or, you know, just send him out towards the towards the sideline and let him do his thing in space. But he is a true downfield running back when you need him to be. Uh, he runs with power. Uh, he has incredible vision to go along with his just unbelievable agility. Um, that touchdown run that he had I didn't even notice the first time or when I saw it live just how incredible it was but as I watched it back I mean he first makes an incredible juke to get away from the defender and then without even looking he knows exactly where the hole is to like make another uh, big sidestep right back in it and leave a couple defenders in his dust and then leaps over a fourth guy to get into the end zone and I mean that's like his 12th best player, 15th best player of his career already. Um, the one where he squeezes through the two defenders on his one reception might be uh, even better play that he had in this game. I mean, I think the, those two defenders ended up like hitting helmets together and bouncing off each other because Deuce was already gone by the time they uh, made contact. And then he just squirts free for a first down like it's nothing. Um I I really think we're just going to end up giving him the at least the offensive award pretty much every game this season. Guy's incredible. He so ends the, up the thing. His... Go ahead. I would say the thing that impresses me the most about Deuce, especially this year, is sometimes last year it felt like you'd get three or four of the big plays from Deuce, but then the rest of it was you know maybe some shorter runs that you know you're just waiting for the the run to break, the big run to break. Well, this year. Pretty much every time he's getting the ball, he's getting like six plus yards, you know, like 
there's not a whole lot of those negative or one or two yard plays. Like he is becoming a back that is um, not just the home run threat of maybe every fourth or fifth time he gets the ball, he's going to get 30, 40 yards or break it for a touchdown. This game was, I think, one of his best games as a K-State Wildcat just because, you know, almost every time he got the ball, he was hitting the hole and getting six six yards, five yards, nine yards. You know, it wasn't just um, a lot of times those smaller backs. That's kind of what you're hoping for is, you know, yeah, they might get negative one yard or two yards here or whatever, and then they're going to bust it for 50. He's kind of like bucking that trend a little bit on on the smaller running back and I think that's what's making him really special only along a 14 this past Saturday which I think is going to catch a lot of people by surprise but I think that just goes to underscore what a lot of us were a little bit skeptical of when Kleiman said it during the, the preseason that they felt comfortable giving Deuce Vaughn the ball 20 or more times a game and to that point he's He's got 62 carries on the young season, so he's averaging over 20 carries per contest, and he's been doing damage every time he gets the ball. And do they want Deuce Vaughn to continue to get a a bell cow workload like this? I I don't know if that's the grand vision, but he's certainly held up to it thus far. And I think we also know we've got a great complimentary piece in Joe Irvin, and and hopefully Jacardier Wright also emerges as someone who can help shoulder some of that workload. But for the moment, Deuce Vaughn has been just exceptional through these first three games he is picking up right where he left off at the end of 2020 great things in store for this k-state offense if he can continue uh this pace of play and i certainly hope that that does continue as we move into week four now we'll switch gears and move to the offensive mvp the Darren Sproles Award, and our stipulation on this show is that if you are the team MVP, you cannot be offensive or defensive MVP. And guys, obviously, with with Deuce getting the team MVP for week number three, this one was pretty much a no-brainer. Offensive MVP goes to Will Howard, the quarterback, stepping in for Skylar Thompson. Does a very admirable job this past Saturday. The Wildcats have their first game in which he started, in which there are no, no turnovers. So you you see the results. When K-State takes care of the ball, when Will Howard's under center, good things can happen. And, and again, Justin, he was very sharp in the passing game this past Saturday. Uh, not a lot asked of him. I think he was 7 of 10. And obviously very encouraging to hear from Kleiman after the game that the home run to uh, Imad Bebe uh, was actually checked into pre-snap by Howard. Uh, changed his route before the snap. So... You know, if he's already having, if he's already confident enough, confident enough to be doing things like that, you know, I think obviously you, you hope you can expect more from him moving forward. But yeah, uh, you know, secured the ball when he was running it. You know, I know he's had some costly fumbles in his young career, so good to see him kind of hopefully start to put that behind him. And uh, really, I mean, uh, engineered a pretty clean game overall. Uh, three total touchdowns. Yeah, no, no turnovers. So I mean, really couldn't have asked for much more from him. And a 21-point win when it's all said and done. We hear a lot in football about how the greatest improvement a team will make is week one to week two. And while circumstances were obviously different for Will Howard, not being starter in week one and then being asked to come in in relief of Skyler following the injury in week two, I think the same concept applies here in that Will Howard, knowing he was going to be QB1 going into the game against Nevada, 
preparing like he was going to be the starter, knowing the game plan was going to be tailored around him. You really saw the confidence manifest in a big way. Hitting that deep ball to Amater Bebe was just what the doctor ordered. I think that helped him ease into the game, took a lot of the pressure off of him. He didn't get tight at any point. Even when things got stressful there in that third quarter, he he was still very composed. And I, I certainly hope we see that side of Will Howard moving forward if he is called upon after this Oklahoma State game, who knows? Again, we're, we're told, obviously, that Skyler is going to come back for Oklahoma, but you never know what's going to happen on that front. Coaches might elect to, to hold them out a little bit longer. If a couple of additional weeks will be what Skyler needs to, to get right, we'll see what happens. And if that is the case, you certainly hope that Will Howard continues to play with the confidence we saw this past Saturday. Now, we'll move into our Mark Seminole Award winner for week number three, our defensive MVP. And we've already spoken so much about him. I don't really know if there's a whole lot left to say. It goes to Daniel Green for the third straight week. Led the team in tackles with nine stops, as we mentioned. Had one sack, one quarterback hurry. He continues to be an anchor for this team in the middle of that linebacker core. And again, there's not much else we can say. Daniel Green's your, your defensive MVP for the Cats in week number three. The David Allen Award for Special Teams Player of the Week is going to go to Amaris Brown. And I know we we had some higher expectations of him, thought we might see him a little bit more, uh, getting a little bit more action rather in the secondary and getting some snaps at nickel. That really hasn't come to pass quite yet. It's not to say that he might not work his way into the rotation of players here as we move through the season, but he did make a big time play in special teams and really a, a tone setting sequence for Kansas State. We talked about Will Howard hitting at Mater Bebe on that deep ball over the middle to start things off and getting K-State out seven to nothing in the blink of an eye. And then the ensuing kickoff, Amaris Brown flies down the field takes out the returner's legs uh, just past the 10-yard line, and then the crowd gets into it. We see an immediate delay of game by Nevada. We have Carson Strong dropping a snap that he wasn't prepared for. It, it was all really just, again, a, a massive snowball effect, and it was great to see special teams play a role in that and getting Nevada backed up on that opening possession of theirs. So Abaris Brown gets our special teams player of the week distinction for that nice tackle on the opening kickoff. Now it's time to go to the Arthur Brown Award winner for Newcomer of the Week. He is affectionately known as the Sauce Boss. His off-field, uh, let's say, antics have really endeared him to Kansas State Twitter. You have to love the way that he plays, the the passion that he plays the game with, the, the attitude that he brings to this Kansas State defense. Clint, Reggie Stubfield again was tremendous for Kansas State in the secondary this past Saturday. Yeah, I'm talking about him so much that I'm starting to get some Stubby's barbecue sauce popping up on my uh, any internet pages I'm going to. I'm getting a little advertisements for it. I don't mind that. Uh, the guy is so much fun, whether it's his uh, his interviews afterwards or him on uh, Twitter, but mainly his play on the field and then his celebrations afterwards. He had a really nice uh, blitz straight up the middle. He ducked under a guard and got to the quarterback and pulled him down for a sack. He's been lights out in coverage so far. He's playing really good at that nickel spot. He's been a huge pickup for us this year. One thing I do want to mention, and I'm sure a majority of our listeners have probably already seen the clip or at least have heard about it. Uh, one reporter asked Stubbs in post game about 
how they wanted to attack Carson Strong. And Stubb just very bluntly came out and said that the coaches and the players did not feel like Carson could read defenses. And to that point, they just wanted to really do a good job of disguising coverages. And you see the results. Uh, Carson only averaged 6.5 yards per attempt. Uh, That's his lowest mark of this season. And you have to go all the way back to last season when he threw for uh, 6.26 yards per attempt against San Diego State. And now keep in mind, San Diego State, pretty solid defense in that category last year. They were actually second nationally. So K-State obviously in good company and, and employed a great game plan in terms of how they wanted to go about defensing Carson Strong, a quarterback I think we all expect to be drafted and to have a shot to play on Sundays. And I will say this, I know the previous coaching regime would certainly not have condoned any player saying anything remotely close to that, but that's, again, I've said the word refreshing a handful of times here. That That is something to me that I don't feel like you need to shy away from, from your personality or from having a personality, I should say. When you play on defense, you have to play with a certain level of confidence and with passion. You have to believe in your scheme, and Stubbs absolutely does that. And I don't think that he should have be, be punished or, or, or reprimanded in any way for, for speaking out like that. I think that's just a guy who felt confident in what he and his teammates saw during film study, what the coaches saw, what they felt like they could do defensively against Nevada. And they put in a game plan and they executed, man. They they absolutely won the day on that side of the ball and, and limiting him to, like I said, 6.5 yards per attempt. So Stubbs gets our newcomer of the week distinction for his effort in the secondary. And now we'll go to our John Hubert Award for our unsung hero for week number three. And Justin, I know we haven't really there's not really much else that you can say about him at this point, but we got to give it to our boy, Nate Matlack. I don't know how much more I can say about the play. Other, like I said, other than the fact that it was just super impressive that he was essentially out of that play and uh, was able to recover in time to actually get his team, the ball back. Um, really, you know, really excited to see what he can do moving forward. Obviously I think it's going to be in a much more expanded role. You know, I think there's a bright future really for the defensive end position as a whole, but but he has a lot to do with why. Love seeing a Kansas kid make plays for us, and here's hoping that there are many more from Mr. Matlack here in 2021. We'll wrap things up with our Trey Walker Award for Moment of the Game, and Alex, this came at a pretty crucial juncture in the game in the third quarter after Nevada has pulled level with Kansas State at 17-17. to The Wildcats are looking at a second and 10, and Will Howard finds Deuce Vaughn out in the flat, and Deuce does the rest. You know, this K-State team under Kleinman has has really struggled to score points in the third quarter uh, for whatever reason, and we come out, we don't do anything with the ball the first time, we let Nevada get the ball back, and they go and tie the game up 17-17. We get the ball back, first down, goes nowhere, second and 10. I will say... My initial memory of this play was that it was third down and 10. I was, because I, I think I texted that to you guys about this play. I was like, huge third down pickup there. It was second and 10, but still, it's that feeling like if we don't get a first down, we might be losing this game. You know, we need points on this drive. 
and Deuce Vaughn catches the ball. Looks like he's going to be tackled for maybe a three-yard gain, and he just turns on the Jets, splits two defenders, goes up the sideline, gets the first down easily, and pretty much the rest is history from there. We just march down the field. Uh, Unfortunately, we score on that drive on the first play of the fourth quarter, so we do not get those precious third-quarter points. Uh, But that play was kind of the catalyst to, okay, okay, let's calm down, because I was feeling pretty pretty shitty about the game after they tied it up. Um, I, I thought... You know, I thought the game plan, it's it's one of those games where during the game, I'm like, why is our play calling so shitty? This is not working. And then after the game, you see the results, the three touchdowns, touchdown drives to end the game. You go back and you look at everything, even a lot of plays that didn't work early in the game. That, that, that big third uh, three and out in the uh, second quarter with Will right before he got taken out. We actually had a play blocked perfectly produced to cut left or right and get a first down on that third down. And he kind of maybe like a over analysis of the hole and just kind of stayed in the middle and got went right into the linebackers. So, you know, I think overall the, the, the game plan was solid. The play calls were solid, but in that moment, I don't think we were very feeling very good about the game. Uh, and that first down on that initial drive to go take the lead back was a huge play. I think you can probably be forgiven for not knowing what down it was, considering we were watching on ESPN Plus and they had no idea what down it was. It is my yeah, understanding it was first, first down. It's my understanding it was first down every snap of the game, right? <laughs> it sure was. <laughs> You talked about those uh, those coveted third quarter points. Uh, I was you could just hear Messingham just saying, "Damn it, we just need to call a timeout and punch this one in so I can get everybody off my ass about not scoring in the third quarter." But, uh, anyways, it, like I said, that was that was a huge, much needed play that K State. I, I think you already you guys already touched on it when you put Will Howard in a position when it's third and ten and you, you're going to have to go down the field in your passing game and try to try and pick that that uh get that conversion and extend that drive i don't think anybody was feeling great about that proposition so deuce vaughn really helps pick up the offense on that one and and then again will howard rips off a 19 yard run then it's deuce vaughn for 14 deuce vaughn for 13 and then he ends up scoring so k-state i think the offense Everybody, like I said, the, just a collective exhale from everybody after that first, that initial first down on that drive. And that one ultimately uh, is what puts K-State on top 24 to 17. The Wildcats do not relinquish the lead and they end up running away from Nevada 38 to 17. The final, they fetty wop the Wolfpack in Manhattan. K-State 3-0 and for the second time in the Chris Kleiman era. And before we do uh, turn our attention to the next uh, po- opponent for Kansas State, obviously Oklahoma State on the road this coming Saturday. Quick look at the week that was in the Big 12. Uh, a game that was actually much better than I think anybody expected. Oklahoma 23-16 to over Nebraska. I, I know it's early, but I feel like Oklahoma might not be the uh, the Oklahoma that we that they were built out to be uh, this season. Uh, this this team has been, you know, you throw out the Western Carolina game where they won seventy six to nothing. They have 
they have to hold on for dear life against Tulane, and then they they don't really blow the doors off of Nebraska. They were favored by 22 in that game, and they end up winning 23 to 16, and needed a couple of turnovers and some help to get it done. Like this, this was not a dominant showing by Oklahoma against a team that I think most people felt they were superior uh, than. Um, just, just a thought there. I think uh, K State. Then, and this is a little bit of projecting on my part, but I, I will say, you, if you're a K State fan, if the Wildcats get it done in Stillwater, you have to feel very good about your chances with Oklahoma. First true road game of the season coming into Manhattan, and also the look ahead factor with Oklahoma going to the Cotton Bowl the next week for the game against Texas. A lot of factors working in the Wildcats' advantage. Obviously, there's still some some pieces of the puzzle that need to fall in place, but I think this Oklahoma team uh, sputtering a little bit out of the gate. I just have to go on on record as having said that. Um, next, uh, West Virginia held on for for dear life to beat Virginia Tech. They led 27 to seven at one point in the third quarter. Uh, Jared Daigie threw a pick with 2:11 left in the game after Vatek uh, had pulled to within 27 to 21. Uh, that interception uh, interception set the Hokies up on the West Virginia 17-yard line. They get down first and goal, but are not able to punch the ball in the end zone. So West Virginia holds on. They get a nice and much-needed win uh, after spitting the bit against Maryland in Week One. So. The ears with a nice victory for the Big 12, 27 to 21, the final. Oklahoma State, we we've already talked about it. They're just kind of the recurring theme for the Pokes this year. They they find a way. That's about all you can say about them. They have not been very impressive in any of their three victories, but they are three and zero, and they do get it done in Boise, 21 to 20, the final in that game. Uh, I put on there the Austin Powers, why won't you die gif. Uh, it is very much applicable. <laughs> this is an Oklahoma State team I think the K-State can get. We'll dive into that here momentarily. Uh, just to kind of put a bow on things, though, as far as the Big 12 goes, Texas over Rice, 58 to nothing. Tech rolls over FIU, 54 to 21. If you wanted to stay up until 10 o'clock Central, you could have watched Iowa State beat up on the worst team in the Mountain West, UNLV, 48 to three. And then Baylor, after only leading 14 to seven at halftime over Kansas, ends up pulling away in the second and winning 45 to seven in Lawrence. Uh, guys, before we dive into Oklahoma State here, uh, any uh, anything you'd like to chime in on as far as the results of the Big 12 games from week number three? I'm feeling good about K-State making it to the Big 12 championship game. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I would say one, I think the Oklahoma-Nebraska score says more about Oklahoma than it does Nebraska. Two, I don't really know how good Virginia Tech is, and West Virginia is, I think, very inconsistent and their quarterback has some problems uh you know holding on to the ball or keeping the ball safe um i don't think ku is any better than they were last year so yeah just just my thoughts there yeah i don't just in general i there's i don't know if there's a clear-cut like class of the big 12 right now so to quote Bob Huggins, why settle for second when first is available? Agreed. Are you guys – my question is, what do you think of – out of all the, the the conference games we have, does the Texas Tech game scare you more now than it did before the season started? 
I don't uh, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. I think Tech uh, will be shown to be a little fraudulent this weekend uh, when they go on the road to play Texas. Uh, and uh, and I, again, I'm, I'm as a K-State fan, I certainly shouldn't be attacking a school that that struggled to beat an FCS team in Stephen F. Austin like they did. But they they had a lot of favorable bounces in their win against Houston, which you look at the score, it says 38 to, uh, to 21. Uh, the, the game was much closer than the score indicates, and I think that game said a lot more about Houston gagging the 21-7 the lead than it did about Tech taking it from them. Uh, and again, Tech needed every one of the 60 minutes to hang on and beat Stephen F. Austin. Uh, so going at, for, at Tech beating FIU the way they did, I, I don't really sweat that at this point. Um, that's, that's just my thought on it. I, I, I think Texas is going to have a pretty good day against the Red Raiders this coming Saturday. That's just my read on it. And I think uh, as we get deeper into conference play, Texas Tech will show themselves to be what we all really had them pegged as a team that's probably five and seven ish caliber, five and seven, maybe six and six. The fact that they got that Houston game probably puts them in, in line to get a bowl game. But I, I don't think this this tech team is much higher than a than a six win ceiling. I think we've seen better tech teams than this, you know, start four and oh, five and oh, and then completely just crumble down the stretch. That's kind of been their MO for years now, you know, through several coaches. It so no, I mean, yeah, yeah, they might be better than we thought, but I don't that I don't think I'm particularly like no, I'm not more worried about that game now than I was in August. So that was week number three in the big twelve. Conference teams went seven and zero in non-con games this past Saturday, twenty-three and four overall. That eight fifty-two win percentage is actually the best in the FBS as it stands right now. I had to uh, tweet that to our friends Kirk Herbstreit and Reese Davis over there at College Game Days just to make sure they had some talking points for the show. Uh, fully expecting a, a veiled shout out from those two uh, for the upcoming College Game Day. They're going to be in Chicago this weekend for the Wisconsin and Notre Dame game. But K-State now turns its attention to Big 12 play, Oklahoma State on the road in Stillwater. I think we got to talk about the elephant in the room. This has never been a, a place for the Wildcats to find success, certainly since the turn of the millennium. Uh, K-State just 1-6 in, in Stillwater since the year 2000. Now, everybody knows that these games are typically very competitive, and I've, I've always come away feeling it's, it's not Kansas State really – making huge mistakes in this that swing it one way or the other. Uh, it, it's really just a matter of, it's, and in Kansas State's case, it's been a matter of the Pokes maybe making one or two more big plays, winning a very critical moment at the at a pivotal juncture in the game. And that's typically what ends up separating uh, these two teams. And that's why Oklahoma State has come out on top in six of the last seven meetings down in Stillwater. Now, that being said, when the margin for error is is that much slimmer, you know that any mistake that's going to be made is going to be magnified tenfold. With that being said, what's what's the biggest thing we need to see out of Will Howard this coming Saturday? It'll be Will Howard continuing to improve and incorporating his receiving threats because um, even though Oklahoma State's offense, um, you know, isn't 
what it has been in the past, we're still going to, you know, have to score some points to keep up with them. Yeah. And I mean, their defense is no joke. You know, obviously their defense has kind of bailed their offense out uh, in two of the three games, if not all three of their games so far this year. Now they had to, they had to pitch a second half shutout to win at Boise. So it, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think, uh, honestly, Alex, I think you, you took the words right out of my mouth that like our RO line could win or lose this one for us for sure. Now, one talking point that is being brought up is the fact that this is going to be Will Howard's first bonafide road test in the sense that there are going to be what I would suspect north of 50,000 fans in the stands. You're not going to have the benefit of being able to easily communicate with your coaches and, and your line when you need to make checks. Is that a major concern in this contest or is this maybe getting blown out of proportion? Well, I have huge concerns. I mean, he he wasn't truly tested last week, I don't think. I mean, he he got to play in a, a home stadium, and uh, his offensive line did a great job of keeping him clean. Um, I want to know what happens when things start to go wrong. Will he be able to rebound? Now, on the other side of this quarterback battle is Spencer Sanders, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that Oklahoma State is actually in the midst of a four-year, now going on five-year decline in Now, on the other side of this quarterback battle is Spencer Sanders, and I feel compelled to mention that Oklahoma State is in the midst of a four-year and ostensibly going on five-year decline in points per game, yards per game, and yards per play. I I know Spencer Sanders wasn't the quarterback all those years, obviously, but a lot of people are attributing these shortcomings to him and his ability to to move the ball efficiently through the air, despite the fact that last year he completed just under 63% of his throws and threw for over 2,000 yards in in an injury and COVID-shortened season. I guess I should just ask you guys, in the plainest of terms here, does Spencer Sanders scare you? Seems like he's gotten worse since he first kind of came on the scene. When he first, his first year, I was really impressed with him. I thought he was going to be one of the better Big 12 quarterbacks going forward, but... um, Seems like he's kind of taken a step back and he's not as impressive looking anymore. I, I will say he does not have the same uh, weapons around him as he did when he, you know, his first few years as a starter. And even then, when he was still playing well, the scary thought was, oh, my God, when this guy's a senior or a junior or senior, he's going to be so much better. And like Clint said, it's kind of gone the opposite way. So, um he scares me in the fact that he's still an athletic guy, and if we can't contain him, he can bust us for some big you know, running plays. But overall, definitely not as much as he would have scared me two years ago or even last year. Yeah, it seems like, you know, for basically the last decade, maybe even longer, Oklahoma State quarterback, you just immediately think, you know, high-flying, they're going to, you know, sling it and really light up the stat sheet. But yeah, I mean... Just haven't seen it from him this year. I think people were talking about it at one point in the second half. In Boise, he had seven passing yards. You know, it uh, obviously if 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 he if the game becomes one dimensional, yeah, he's dangerous with his legs. But if we can key in on that, then I'm going to be consider considerably less worried about him. But that you know that said, uh, he's still a veteran guy who's you know he he's beaten us in a close one once already. So you know we'll we'll have to wait and see. I think we're in for a very dull, risk-averse game, and I think that's what both coaches honestly want. Uh, I think both defenses, while statistically going into this, 
total defense, K-State ranks 23rd nationally, 52nd for the Pokes. Uh, scoring defense, K-State 21st nationally, Oklahoma State 50th, but those two are only separated by four points, K-State yielding uh, just under 16 per game, Oklahoma State yielding just under 20 per game. Uh, I think both coaches know that their, their defenses are going to be what dictates this. I don't think this is the week that Mike Gundy tells Spencer Sanders, hey, it's on you. We need you to rip it. We're going to have a game plan that's going to call for 25 to 30 pass attempts. I, I certainly don't think that's what he wants to do uh, with such a young wide receiver core. There, There is some talent there, but when you get down to it, uh, Brennan Presley, just a sophomore in the slot at 5'8", 175. Jane Bray, a, a freshman. Bryson Green, also a freshman. Uh, the these Oklahoma State wide receivers are going up against what what I believe is the best defense that they have faced to date. Now, yes, there's the challenge of going on the road and playing Boise State. I, I understand that element of it, but I do think K-State certainly provides a an uptick in terms of overall talent and also in terms of how this defense has been executing. I think they've shown themselves to be a, a very competent and solid group across the board. So I, I don't think that this is the week that Mike Gundy is going to rely on Spencer Sanders in this passing game. I think it's going to be very much about what can Jalen Warren give you in the running game. He just went off for that 200-yard game against uh, Boise State last week. I think he's going to be one of the big focal points for this offense, and you obviously have the very reliable L.D. Brown, the redshirt senior who's been there forever, had a very solid game against Kansas State last season. I think this is going to be a game that gets over, honestly, pretty quickly. I think both coaches are going to be very content to run the ball, to see what their offensive lines can do, to see who can move who. And I honestly don't know if, if more than 20 points is honestly what you need uh, to get uh, this victory this Saturday. On the K-State side of the equation, I feel like Will Howard can do enough to get Kansas State a win in this game. What makes me nervous and what gives me pause is the fact that we saw last season the way that Kansas State wanted to attack this Jim Knowles defense. And Jim Knowles had a great game plan in the sense that they limited Deuce Vaughn to just 40 yards on 17 carries. They were all too happy to let Will Howard gash him. And Will Howard ran for over 100 yards in that game against Oklahoma State. I, I truth be told, I think they're probably going to employ a similar strategy this coming Saturday. I, I do feel though K-State has an edge in this in the sense that you have a, a Deuce Vaughn with one more year of experience. You have a much more, let's say, comfortable and confident Will Howard. How can he handle the road environment? That's that's probably the biggest question that that's facing Kansas State right now. But you have a an experienced offensive line coming back. You have a healthy complement of weaponry in terms of Phillip Brooks, Deuce Vaughn, Malik Knowles. I know Sebastian Taylor is still working his way back into the lineup. I don't know if this is going to be a week where we see him or not, but I feel like Kansas State can get it done with the personnel that they have. And and truth be told, I, I think what this game comes down to more than anything else is, is who can win in the trenches. If Kansas State can open up holes the way that they have, uh, and take the, the game out of Will Howard's hands to eliminate the passing component, I think the Wildcats will have a very good shot to win. If Will Howard is forced to throw this ball north of 20 times, uh, I think that's where Kansas State gets into trouble. I, I do think Will Howard feels probably a little bit more confident in his ability to go downfield, 
but at the end of the day, I don't think that's the recipe for success for the Wildcats. And, and, and like I said, that's ultimately why I feel like K-State does have a bit of an edge in this contest. I, I, I think the Wildcats in Oklahoma State are really going to attack each other in similar ways. It's just really going to be a matter of who can do what better, who wins in the trenches more effectively and efficiently. And I, I, I think K-State's offensive line will be up to the task and whether or not K-State can move the ball on the ground consistently is probably going to be what decides this game. I, I certainly think that the defense will be up to the task for the Wildcats. And I don't think when we look back on how this game plays out that we're going to say the defense really let us down. I, I don't feel like that's going to occur. There might be a missed assign, uh, a couple more missed assignments just with this being on the road and, and just being in a different environment. But I still feel like Kansas State's defense is not going to be the reason why they they lose this game. If they do, I think it's going to come back to the offense and how Will Howard manages being on the road, how he manages the offense and whether or not Kansas State can effect, uh, efficiently move the ball on the ground. Got a little long-winded there, but this is obviously a, a very pivotal game for both squads, and I think if Kansas State finds a way to get this done, we're going to have some major juice in Bill Snyder Family Stadium for that Oklahoma game. But one contest at a time, I think it's an opportune time to go into our picks for the week. And with that being said, we'll start off with the Marvin Show Me More Simmons pick. Clint, who you got? Uh, my pick... For the uh, show me more is going to be Sammy Wheeler. You know, he's a guy who uh, I think we're all kind of excited about, has a good amount of athletic ability, but hasn't uh, really gotten his chances too much this year. I think he's actually improved as a run blocker. I'd like to see him get a few more chances in the uh, passing game and uh, let his athletic ability show. Nutter. I am going to go with Will Howard. You know, he proved he can manage the game, but I think he's going to have to do a little bit more than just manage this one if we're going to get the get the win. Um, you know, I think we're going to have to see we're going to have to see some more downfield passing. And uh, you know, like Clint kind of alluded to, like things aren't always going to go perfectly. So, can he respond if something does go wrong? So, yeah, I think we're going to have to see what you know. We're going to have to see how much he's really improved this week. And Alex. I'm going with Malik Knowles, uh, but me picking Malik feels like this is a trio of Malik, Will Howard, and Courtney Messingham to figure out ways to get him the ball uh, with play calling and accurate throws. Um, so, but I do think Malik Knowles needs to have a, you know, somewhat productive day for us to pull out a win. I'm not going to dispute anybody on their selections there. I think the fact that each of us is going with an offensive player speaks volumes about how confident we are in this defense. I think to a man, each of us believes that the defense is not going to be the unit that lets Kansas State down this coming Saturday. And, and to that point, it's going to be on the offense to, to hold up its end of the bargain when given opportunities. So when there are turnovers forced by this defense, if we see special teams get a big punt or kick return to set Will Howard and company up with the short field, they're going to have to cash in on those opportunities. And to that point, Will Howard is my selection for the Marvin Show Me More Simmons distinction for week number four. He's going to need to stretch the field vertically. Now, who he does that with, candidly, I do not care. If it's a modern baby working the seams, if it's 
if there's a matchup on the boundary with Malik Knowles that the Cats feel like they can exploit, do it. I do not care. You have to, though, make those connections when the opportunities are there to hit downfield passes. Oklahoma State, I have to believe, does not respect Will Howard and his ability to throw this football. And to that point, you know they are going to load up the box and dare Kansas State to throw, and they're going to do everything in their power to quickly close those running lanes for Deuce Vaughn and Joe Irvin and also for Will Howard. We all anticipate him being pretty heavily involved in the running game. So to that point, as I said, Will Howard is going to have to step up big in this game for Kansas State. I expect him to probably be asked to throw anywhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 20 times in this contest. And my much bigger concern is whether or not he can hit a few downfield passes. If Kansas State is trying to nickel and dime Oklahoma State and, and beat them with flares and little underneath routes to, to tight ends and H-backs, that, that's not going to get it done. And Kansas State's going to be in for a long day if they are failing to stretch the, the field vertically in any form or fashion. But I, I think that Will Howard has to be the one to step up big for Kansas State in this game. And also, as far as his preparation for this contest goes, I like to think and hope that Skylar Thompson has his ear this week. I look back to what happened in 2019 with Kansas State, where the Wildcats got off to the 3-0 start. They had the big emotional win at Mississippi State. They're going into Oklahoma State, having just cracked the top 25, feeling very good and very confident, and then are humbled about as abruptly as possibly can be Oklahoma State just hammered Kansas State, and the 26-13 to 13 margin does not do this game justice. Oklahoma State outgained Kansas State 526-244. to 244. The Wildcats mustered just eight first downs and were one of 13 on third downs in that 2019 contest down in Stillwater. So with all that being said, I hope Skyler has some sage advice that he can impart on the young signal caller, Will Howard, this week, and I hope Will Howard takes those words to heart and is able to find some holes in this Oklahoma State secondary and hit some downfield throws. If he is able to do that, I think the Wildcats will have a great shot to come out of Stillwater with a victory. With all that being said, we'll go next to our second pick for the week, the Ben Stonepounder Newman distinction. This goes to the player we feel is going to have a standout performance. And we'll go ahead and start this off with Alex. Who's your pick there? Uh, I'm going to go with my boy, Jacardier Wright. I'm Pretty sure I picked him last week as well. I might just pick him every week until he gets like 10 plus carries. But, you know, uh, I really think that it would be good for the offense to get the power back in there. And I think, uh, you know, given a good amount of carries, he can make some some nice plays. And, you know, this is the Stone Pounder Award. So I think he's going to go... pound on some dudes if he gets enough carries. <laughs> Nutter. Let's go, Nate Matlack. Uh, you know, I've said it twice already. He's going to get more snaps this week. Can he replicate that success? And uh, can can we live in the backfield like we've done, you know, three times this year? And if, if we do, he's going to be a big part of it. And for, for me, I'm going to go with Boom Massey. Um, you know, like I said earlier, he doesn't play the same position as Khalid Duke, but he's a, a veteran presence on that uh, defensive line that I think he knows that it's going to be time to step up and uh, provide a little bit more of a pass rush. And I think, um, you know, the 
the the guys getting the pass rush and the sacks have been pretty much just rotating all year long. They've all had good success, and I think this game is going to be his turn for uh, him to have a big game and get uh, a couple sacks maybe. I'm also going to go on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to go with Daniel Green. I think he is going to be asked to do quite a bit against the Oklahoma State offense, uh, be that trying to fill run lanes to stop the likes, whether it's the Utah State transfer Jalen Warren or if it's L.D. Brown, if it's getting out on the perimeter to try and contain Spencer Sanders on rollouts. I think Daniel Green's going to be asked to step up big for this defense. Now he's been, he's shown us again that he's been up to the task thus far, but uh, Spencer certainly does present a different set of challenges. K-State really to say that they faced a mobile quarterback would maybe be a little generous. I think Nick Baker, the the young man for Southern Illinois could do a, a couple things with his feet, but he, he wasn't certainly the type who possesses the athleticism anywhere close to that of Spencer Sanders. Uh, but Carson Strong is an absolute statue. And then Tanner McKee and Jack West for Stanford, neither one of those two were getting outside of the pocket and moving, uh, moving around all that much. So I think K-State's defense is going to be stressed a lot more laterally than it has been uh, through the first couple of weeks into that end. Like I said, Daniel Green, he's been leading the team in tackles in two of the uh, the first three games here. I think this is, might be another contest, and I think he's going to have double-digit tackles this week uh, just with the way that I anticipate Oklahoma State attacking this Kansas State defense. So Daniel Green is my pick for the Stone Pounder this week, and we'll go ahead and wrap things up with score predictions. And Nutter, I'll go ahead and lead off with you here. What you got for this Saturday? Yeah, so let me preface this with I think this is a 100% winnable game. But knowing our track record in Stillwater, um, I'm going to need to see them go prove it. Um, we've uh, we've had better teams go in there, and we always seem to lose in infuriating fashion in this building. Um, absolutely hope I'm wrong, but until I'm proven otherwise, I'm going to go 24-21 Oklahoma State. Alex? Uh, not that I disagree with anything Justin said about, you know, us not doing so hot there and getting some bad breaks. But, you know, last year they came into our house and we gifted them the win. And I think we're going to go in and, and take it 20 to 13. And Clint? Every week I get more and more confidence in this team. I think I'm starting to think that this team is better and better. And um, I mean, the only thing that I think would keep us um, from winning is if Will Howard reverts to his um, uh, less than desirable style of play. Um, I, I think we win big 35, 21. That might be really stupid considering the, the history that we have uh, down at Oklahoma state, but I love this team. I think we're going to win big. I love your optimism, Clint, and I'll have to concede that I was very much in the same camp as Justin was earlier this week. I could not erase the memories that have been seared into the back of my brain. There have been so many breaks that have gone against Kansas State down in Stillwater. I think back to the 2013 game when the Wildcats recover a fumble deep in Oklahoma State territory. Daniel Sams looking to lead a drive to put the Wildcats up by two scores. 
he coughs up the ball on a very questionable fumble. It certainly looked like his his knee was down. Unfortunately, the officials award the ball to Oklahoma State. That totally shifts the momentum in that contest. The Cowboys end up prevailing 33-29 to in that 2013 game. Fast forward to 2015, Kansas State's holding a 28-13 to edge. Late in the first half, they have stopped Oklahoma State on what is a third down and long. They've forced what should have been a fourth and about four, but the officials just give the Cowboys a free five yards and allow them to extend that drive, and ultimately Oklahoma State ends up scoring a touchdown, closing the gap to 28-20, and that score looks pretty big at the end of the day in a game that Oklahoma State manages to eke out 36-34. to There have just been a lot of kick-in-the-nuts plays, and I know as a K-State fan, it's hard to to erase those, like I said, from the from your memory. But you have to remind yourself, and I had to I had to do this too. Looking back at the 2019 game, I know I cited it a little bit earlier, but you look at the personnel that was in that game for Oklahoma State, and you look at what they've got now. There is no Chuba Hubbard. There is no Tylen Wallace. That being said, there is going to be a lot put on the plate of Spencer Sanders this week, and that plays right into the hands, I believe, of what K-State wants to see happen. I think everybody knows Brent's, TJ, Echo, they're all going to get up and be in these guys' grills, and they're going to be pressing and forcing Spencer Sanders to make those really tight, contested throws. And the other thing about Spencer Sanders over the course of his career, he's proven that he's going to throw you a ball or two every game, and it's on your secondary or your linebackers to, to make that play and get that interception. I do feel like K-State is going to force at least one, if not two or three turnovers in this contest. I just don't think Oklahoma State possesses the weaponry that they have in the past, and I don't think they're going to stress this K-State defense the way that they have. When you have a Tylen Wallace and a Chuba Hubbard, and a Spencer Sanders who can beat you with this feet, and I do expect him to make some plays in that regard. But when you have threats at so many different levels, your defense has to be mindful of a lot of different things. Those threats are not there right now, and I don't think they're going to magically get there this week when Oklahoma State is going up against the most formidable defense that it's faced thus far this season. I think Kansas State's defense is going to really shine this coming Saturday. I honestly don't know if there is a better opponent that you could have asked for to open up conference play with short of Texas Tech or Kansas. I think this is a great scenario for the Wildcats to be in. As far as the offense for Kansas State goes, I know Oklahoma State's defense has been pretty stingy this season. I'll grant you that. I think everybody's looking at this through the same lens as you were the TCU game last season. We just need Will Howard to do enough. We just need him to cobble together enough points for this team to get out of there with the win. And I do believe that he will find a way to do that. I think the magic number this week is 20 for Kansas State. I think the first team that hits 20 is going to win this contest. And I do believe that is going to be the Wildcats. It's not going to be pretty. I I don't foresee Will Howard taking a, a massive step forward in his development, but I do feel he will do just enough to get Kansas State a win down in Stillwater. My pick for the score this week, Kansas State 24, Oklahoma State 20. And keep in mind, if the Wildcats do manage to get a win in Stillwater, they will have started the season 4-0 for the first time since 2012. 
the last time Kansas State won a Big 12 championship. Could be a sign of a very special season forthcoming if the Wildcats manage to get a win this Saturday down in Stillwater. So those are the podcast predictions for week number four. If you do want more insight on Oklahoma State, we have you covered on that front. There is another College and Kimball episode showing up in your feed. I had a chance to interview Kyle Cox. He is a contributor for the Pistols Firing blog. He does great work there. So if you want some more information about Oklahoma State, go ahead and give that episode a download or stream on whatever your preferred app is. I had a great time talking with him, and he'll tell you everything you need to know about Oklahoma State. With all that being said, it's time to turn our attention to the Week 4 slate in the Big 12. I honestly have no read on on a lot of these games uh, in terms of how I would group them. SMU uh, is getting almost 10 points going on the road to take on TCU. Uh, the, the Ponies actually won the last meeting in this series in 2019, 41-30. But TCU had won the prior seven, so no feel for how that one's going to play out. I I think TCU got lucky against Cal, but I I still think that that offense might be uh, might have some inflated numbers here through the first couple weeks. I think uh, the Ponies will make them sweat in this one. I'd certainly probably lean to taking SMU to cover that nine and a half point line. Uh, Texas. Seven and a half point favorites at home hosting Texas Tech. I, I know I know. I already voiced my thoughts on the Red Raiders. I think a little bit of a paper tiger uh, is Matt Wells' squad, and I think they'll be exploited this coming Saturday down in Austin. Texas Tech's only won twice down there uh, since the inception of the Big 12 in 1996, so I don't really foresee this, this iteration of Texas Tech going in and finding a way to win down in Austin. So that's my thought there. Iowa State going on the road to take on Baylor. This is low-key a game that should scare you if if you're an Iowa State fan. The uh, the Tornado Birds have won three of the last four, but these are typically pretty competitive games, and Baylor did win the last meeting down in Waco 23-21. I would not be stunned at all if Baylor found a way to win this game. I think Iowa State's uh, were – we still don't know a lot about them. Uh, again, the fact that Iowa, which has probably one of the best defenses in the country, just sat on them for four quarters is is not a surprise. But that's really the only meaningful data point that we have on Iowa State. And I, I would not be shocked at all if Baylor was able to hang around in that game and potentially pull an upset. Uh, KU going on the road to take on Duke. The Blue Devils laying 16 at home. Lay the points there. This this game's not going to be close. Um, Duke won 43 to uh, 41 to three the last time these two met in Durham in 2014. I know we've had a couple of different coaches roll in and out of uh, Lawrence since then, but I think the result's going to be pretty comparable. I think Duke wins this game, uh, maybe not 41 to three type, but I certainly think they cover that 16 point line. And then the final game of the week in the Big 12, West Virginia going on the road to take on the fourth ranked Oklahoma Sooners. The Sooners land 17 at home. I I still think that this Oklahoma team is not nearly as potent and as sharp as a lot of people are making them out to be. I think 17 is a pretty big number, uh, 
But the Sooners, I will say, have won every single meeting since West Virginia joined the conference. So that's eight straight uh, victories for the Sooners in the series against the Ears. Uh, you have to go back to the tw- uh, and also the 2020 uh, meeting got canceled twice due to COVID. So that is your slate uh, for week number three or excuse me, week number four, rather, in the Big 12 conference play starting for uh, many of the squads here in the con- uh, in the Big 12. Uh, do you guys have any parting shots on any of the upcoming games this week in the Big 12? Go Cats. <laughs> well, uh, with that being said, we'll go ahead and put a bow on this, as we always do with Clint doing the fantasy season recap. And uh, Clint, uh, two entered at 2-0, and only one could remain. And uh, I was fortunate enough to call myself the victor this past Saturday. <laughs> Well, that's not the big story of the week. No one cares about that. What people really care about is Alex getting his first win Hey, on the back Yahoo. of Will Howard. How's I believe thing? I said a week ago, if I took the L because Will Howard went nuts, I would gladly take the L. So tip of the cap. We appreciate your sacrifice, Justin. Way to be selfless. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the Thanks 16, is trade, by the way, Clint. You're welcome, you know. And I, I put it to a vote out on Twitter because I couldn't decide. Uh, my newly acquired player, Russ Yeast, should I start him or go with my uh, my guy, TJ Smith? And the overwhelming majority of people picked TJ Smith, and it screwed me. You guys suck. What were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I ended up losing by uh, half of a point to Jeff. So Jeff stays undefeated. Another big game from uh, number one overall pick, or number two overall pick, Deuce Vaughn. And uh, I believe you just inserted Reggie Stubblefield into your lineup. He gets that sack. And I was done for. I appreciate you doing that for me. I'm sorry. Was that the wedding? Like you were texting me while I was getting ready to walk into the church. And I was like, (laughs) oh, shit, I I need to start steps. (laughs) So appreciate you doing that for me, Clint. Yeah, I'm a dummy. Uh, Daniel Green had another fantastic day, leading all scores with 26 total points. Uh, but other than that, did not get a lot of points from anybody else. But I'll rebound. I'm not worried. I'll get you next time. Daniel and Matter Bebe finally gave me some some good points on that long touchdown. Yeah, there you go. Tell you oh, what, I, I felt pretty good, good when. When Irvin broke that touchdown, I felt pretty good about getting my first win, but those those two goal line touchdowns by Howard were just killer. <laughs> well, I also had Jacardier right in my starting lineup, I believe. So he was in the backfield for that last, I think both of the last two touchdowns. I was like, please hand it off. And then I was like, oh, wait, I got Will Howard too. <laughs> Never Clint, do you, have, uh, do you have the scores handy? How much did he beat me by? Uh, you scored 38.7 points. Alex scored 44.8. So the other thing, when Norvell was just inexplicably calling those timeouts in the final minute of the game, I believe Joe Irvin came up about a foot short, which set up, uh, Will Howard's last touchdown. So if that goes the other way, yeah, I'm probably celebrating my first win right now. But again, congrats on the win. If the Cats win and Will Howard look good, I'll take it. You you got next week, Justin. You got play. This. It doesn't Man. matter. I'm gonna lose. Who cares? 
Better lose well, is catch win. I think role. that's all we uh, we care about here. It's all about identifying trends, guys. Identifying trends. Know your role, kids. Know your role. <laughs> well, good stuff right. as always, guys. Uh, again, thank you. If you've stuck with us this long, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, one final plug. If you haven't already, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to our wonderful podcast here. Follow us on Twitter. If you haven't already, it's college underscore Kimball. And again, you can check out the midweek opponent preview episode that is showing up in your college and Kimball podcast feed. I had a chance to catch up with Kyle Cox, who is a contributor for pistols firing. So if you want some additional insight on Oklahoma state, go ahead and give that episode a download guys. I think it's time to call it quits. We appreciate you, the loyal listener for sticking with us this long. Clint and Alex, safe travels on the way to Stillwater. I hope we're talking about a Wildcat victory this time next week. With all that said, we'll wrap it up the way we always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know.